outer space atmosphere. 836 with John Landecker. Yes, when we say outer space, you know what that means. Broad Pile, editor-in-chief of Ad Astra Magazine and host of This Week in Space podcast. Good evening, Rod Pyle. How are you? <laughs> good evening, John. I'm good. What was that music tag from? That is from uh, the soundtrack to 2001 A Space Odyssey. And it's called... Oh, that was part of the uh, yeah. going down to Jupiter psychedelic. It's called... Uh, I'm Atmos- 10 years old and trying to figure out what the hell's going on in the movie theater. <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact, it's called Atmosphere. That's the name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did a... I did a I edited it down because there's a lot of atmosphere, so to speak. Oh, Although it's in a space, week. yeah. <laughs> so, so do you remember? Yes. Just, just to, for a second, do you remember yeah. seeing that for the first time? I mean, I had gone to this movie thinking, "This is great. This is true sci-fi. No more spaceships on strings. This will be unbelievable." And the first half was a little depressing because the crew's getting killed and all that. But then. This whole thing with the light show and mm-hmm. all that, and I'm looking at this young kid thinking, uh, we paid 30 bucks a ticket for this because it was you know, this limited release thing. And then what really got me was it, when they cut to this one shot, a couple of shots, it was really clear. It was like colored paint that they were mixing, remember? What are you? Which scene are we talking about here? This is the the ending of two thousand and one, where he's he's going down to Jupiter in the oh, spacecraft. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Before he ends up in the white room eating poached eggs and all that gotcha. nonsense. Gotcha. Anyway, it was there was some really goofy stuff, and it's like, come on, I can spot paint. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm ranting. No, no, no. As a matter of fact, I, I've I've watched it again. Um, I don't know, a couple of years ago, and yeah. I don't know if they've what they've done to it, but I'm telling you, I thought the special effects of the space station revolving um, were like state-of-the-art. I mean, it was seamless. Yeah, those are models, and they were done beautifully, and I think it was Doug Trumbull, so that was one of his first things. I just read the other day, They so they found and put in a museum in Hollywood or West L.A., the spacecraft that takes them from the orbiting Hilton space station to the moon, the spherical thing. Mm. But most of the rest of it got left in a vacant lot after the filming of the movie. and was either scrapped or stolen. You know, I don't, do you, I don't recall at all how well it was received initially. Was it well received? I mean, because it's 2001, a space odyssey is for lack of a better term, a trip and a half. You know? Yeah, um, I mean, it was transformational in terms of the visuals. And there's nothing like it mm. before, certainly, and not for a long time after. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't done that long after uh, Lost in Space. Right. I'm, I'm comparing apples and oranges here, but yeah. there wasn't much out there. Up till then, everything kind of looked like typical studio. Yes. We can see the wires, you know, the people that are floating or kind of <laughs> waving their hands around, and you can tell they're standing up, but they turn the camera sideways and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was certainly transformational that way. But, you know, I actually don't actually remember how it did in terms, because they didn't, they didn't spout off about, you know, box office revenue and all that in the public back in those days. Right, you you're right. Variety or something. Yeah. But, but, I mean, certainly a couple of iconic things, at least, was the opening bum 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 and that whole bit about open the pod doors what was it um no i can't open the pod bay doors how yeah open the pod bay doors how i mean 
that has lived on to this oh, very yeah. day. It's still a good movie. I, I, I like I said, I watched it uh, again, and you know, I got a better sound system. <laughs> I've got yeah, a, I've got a 4K uh, print on a TV, and I'm turning the cranking the volume up, and yeah, it's good. It's good. Okay. Knowing, knowing you radio hosts, you probably have like an 80-foot screen at home in your screening room, right? No, no, no. I do not have an 80-foot. I have a uh, 50, 55, actually. <laughs> it's okay. Got it. But it's a real good one. Just let me put it that way. It's a real good cool. one. Um, cool, cool. So, uh, Rod Pyle is with us, editor-in-chief of Ad Astro Magazine and host of This Week in Space podcast. Uh, let's do something along the lines of you're the expert. Let's. Well, I love this. Let's recap the year in space, so to speak, 2022. So 2022 was a watershed year in a lot of ways. The big news, a couple of big news items, uh, but something that didn't make a lot of headlines was SpaceX launching 61 times without <laughs> a failure of the Falcon 9, yeah. which is more than any country except China, which launched 64 times. But that's everything and everybody in the military and private and government and everything else in China. Just SpaceX launched 61 times, sometimes twice in the day. And in that same year, they reused one of their boosters. They hit a new record 15 times. They're only designed to fly 10 times. So these guys are really, they're just knocking it dead. So the big question is uh, this year in the first quarter, are they going to finally be able to get their big mega rocket starship to do the orbital test? So that's what we're kind of all tapping our feet over now. It's looking good, but there's a lot of, you know, they had some trouble with the FAA. And they got that ironed out, they think. And, you know, they don't, they don't issue a lot of news, but people who peer through the fence down in South Texas where they're testing this thing have been saying, oh, you know, part of it's headed to the scrapyards. So they can use this one instead of that one and all that. But it looks like they're going to do this test flight. So it'll go up, make most of an orbit, and then uh, splash down next to Hawaii. Uh, they'll probably try to recover it, but it's not assured. But basically, it's just to make sure it goes up and glides back properly. So what, that that will be very cool. What is unique about this space? Uh, star, this, it's called a Starship, you said. Um, yeah, it's a two-stage rocket, bigger than the Saturn V, mm-hmm. more than twice as powerful as the Saturn V. It can carry 100 tons to the moon, 150 tons into orbit. So it's basically like having a a couple of semi-trucks with rocket engines on them. You know, it's just enormous, and it's completely reusable. So it's transformational on so so many levels. It's really hard to convey what a big difference this could mean, because if if it turns out to work, and if it's reusable, as they say, and if it can fly with frequency, you can start delivering not just little robots and a couple people at a time to the moon, but chunks of communities and huge machines and earth movers and, you know, drive-in theaters if you want to up <laughs> to the moon. So it, it, it's a real game changer just in terms of the stuff we can do. So that was big. Yeah. And, of course, the other big one, I know you, you probably got to go on a break pretty soon, but the Webb Space Telescope, of course, was James Webb Space Telescope was just enormous. And, you know, we were all kind of, gritting our teeth and crossing our digits when that thing launched, and then it heads off towards the moon, and something like 470 separate mechanical activities have to take place for it Mm -hmm. to fully unfold and clamp in place and all that. And remember, this is something that's never been tested in zero-G. It's always just been fiddled with and tested on Earth 
under full gravity, and you can't always predict how things are going to behave out there, plus the extreme temperatures and all that. But it succeeded brilliantly, and uh, so far it's – I mean, we all saw those early pictures, but there's been stuff since then. They, they got an early uh, indication of water on an exoplanet. They got some – they decided to look at some close-in objects. They got some incredible images of Jupiter, a uh, running list of oldest and furthest galaxies. Seems like there's a new one every other week. Uh, spotted some carbon dioxide in an exoplanet, which is interesting because it's, you know it's, that's a possible indicator of some form of life. We have to yeah, see. and uh, just all kinds of stuff from the very early earliest universe, and finally uh, this planet exoplanet system called Trappist One, which has I think seven planets, of which four are in the so-called habitable zone, which could be somewhat Earth-like. Yeah. They've got to look at those. They'll be looking at that more. But you know, you see the stuff, you get the data. Then you got to have sixty months to a year to figure out what it all means. So right. the best stuff is yet to come. We're talking to Rod Pyle, editor in chief of Ad Astro Magazine, host of uh, This Week in Space podcast. Obviously, he knows how we work around here because, yeah, we're going to take a break and come back with more on seven twenty WGN. And so we had the Dart mission, which is double asteroid redirect test, and the idea of this was the first test of hey. If we see an asteroid or a comet coming towards Earth, if yeah. we throw something at it hard enough, yeah. will it divert it? Right. So, right. you know, a little spacecraft about the size of a golf cart, they ran it into a moonlet that was orbiting another asteroid. It's all right. very weird dynamics. It was about 500 feet, but it's still 500 feet across, the big rock. Slammed into it at a very high rate of speed. And it was not only successful, but it changed the trajectory and the orbital time of that little object. Mm. about three times what they expected. So um, I think it was a total of, of uh, 33 minutes of orbital period. They had hoped maybe 10. And it displaced 2 million pounds of rock. So they figured out what happened was so much rock blew off of the thing during the impact that that acted like a little momentary rocket engine and kind of pushed it along. So they learned a whole lot about how we can you know, possibly intervene if it's early mm. enough with something heading towards Earth, which is good because we don't want to lose Chicago to a big rock, right? No, no, and we've all seen the movie Armageddon, and who needs that? So, I mean, it's it's yeah. nice to know that uh, they sent something up there, it hit the thing, and it moved it. I mean, that's really what more could you possibly ask for, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so now we got to figure out how to, how to do it for bigger objects, and that's right. a long conversation we'll have another time. Because the elephant in the room, of course, is Artemis One. Ah, yes, Artemis One made a spaceship out to the moon and back, and there was no people in it, but it it worked brilliantly. After all those weights and all oh the snarky God. remarks I made, so <laughs> it finally took off. Uh, flew for twenty something days, brilliantly. Yeah. Um, few electrical glitches, but I mean, it, it, it went out, you know, it launched fine, it went out there fine, completed its big loop fine, came back, and the big moment, of course, was, <clears throat> will this heat shield, the first one we built right. to return lunar speeds, which right. is like, you know, 25,000 miles an hour instead of 17,000, will it work? Did, haven't heard anything about cracks or issues with that, so that's good, but my favorite part of that mission was they had an iPad or some kind of a screen in the cockpit that had a space-rated version of Alexa on it from Amazon called Callista. Wow. And it, had, it, it but, but it couldn't phone home to Amazon service, so it had everything in place, right? So it's kind of simple. It's like, you know, how much gas do we have? The lights on or off? 
so the two dummies they had strapped in the seats, two or three, interacted with this thing. They had a camera over their shoulders. Well, Lockheed Martin said, hey, let's let the public send in messages we can flash on the screen, and they can see their, their kind of message as a selfie. At the furthest point as it was orbiting past the moon, a little text message pops up on that screen that some guy called Block Sender uh, sent that says, we're calling about the expired warranty on your spacecraft. No. Really? Yes. yes. Oh, my God. And Lockheed Martin and NASA let him put it up. So I thought that was really, really fun. That's astounding. That is astounding. That Now, wait a yeah. minute. I just want to make sure I'm understanding what's going on here. This thing's flying around, and it has a screen. And yeah. it's out of a, some kind of Alexa-like device. Right. And somebody could text this message to the craft? Well, you you had to to send it to Lockheed Martin, the contractor built the Orion, and then they looked at it, because they didn't want anything icky going up there, you know, so they looked at it. I could see that. You know, they didn't want John Lindecker, you know, (laughs) setting up his, like, favorite off-color joke of the week or something, (laughs) or, heaven forbid, me. So, um, so yeah, they vetted it, and then they said it. But, uh, yeah, you know, this is a way to get the public involved, and that certainly is different from what we remember about Apollo. I mean, you know, there's sci-fi and sci-fact. And uh, the, yeah. lines, the lines are getting more and more blurred. You know, the thing that always strikes me about this, <clears throat> when we t- we're talking to Rod Pyle, by the way, editor-in-chief of Ad Astro Magazine, host of This Week in Space Podcast, and all these things that we've been talking about. Unless I'm wrong, everything that we talk about is, with maybe a, one or two exceptions, these are being funded by either Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. Am I correct? Well, I mean, Artemis is a huge government program, right. billions, billions right. of dollars. So, yeah. so that's not. But Starship and the Falcon yeah. Nine, you know, it was self-funded to start. He still puts a lot of money into it, but they've had NASA contracts going since 2006. So there's a lot of NASA money in the mix. Same with mm-hmm. Bezos. So they're smart. You know, it's easy to look at it the, the way it's usually put in the press and think, "Wow, these guys are flying their own space program." <laughs> I wish Apple would do that. You know, we'd be on Jupiter already. But um, it, it's a kind of a complicated mix. So they got NASA contracts. They've got contracts with the military, um, yeah, yeah. private contracts with other. So, like, uh, this is a weird one. You know, in a sense of coopetition, if you want to call it that. Yes, SpaceX. You know, they've been launching all these Starlink satellites. They can have broadband from orbit, right? Well, there's another company called uh, OneWeb that was supposed to use a Russian-powered rocket. That fell through. So they came to SpaceX and said, hey, uh, you know, we know we're in competition, but would you mind launching our satellites? They said, write us a check. So, you know, it's a very interesting the way this whole business angle is is coming together. And, uh, you know, the next five or six years of really... Just going to be dynamite if Musk doesn't get eaten alive by Twitter, which you know, mm. jury's well, still out. Well, one never one. knows. He's a, an eccentric dude. That's an understatement. One uh, one thing I want to get to before we run out of time. Sure. Uh, this because I talked about it on the air. I think a few weeks ago, in late January, and late January is not that far away. Yes. A rare green comet in the northwestern skies. The last time. Uh, for 50,000 years, and as I understand it, at s- in some areas, if everything's right, you can see it with the naked eye. Is that right? Well, so 
so we're going to do this on the podcast of Friday, and I'm telling oh. the episode, The Creepy Green Comet. Okay. And um, it's not creepy. It's Comet C2022E3, parentheses, ZTF, in parentheses. Um, yeah, first time in 50,000 years. And in fact, it may not come back at all because the oh. orbit looks like it may sling out, uh, out of the orbit that would bring it past Earth. It's not huge. You know, it's, it's, it's fairly small. It's going to be hard to spot. But increasingly towards the end of the month, we're moving towards the western sky. So, yeah, if you can get out there. So this is an early morning object. In about a week and a half, it'll mm-hmm. be close to the small dip, to the Little Dipper. And then it'll continue moving west night after night, uh, kind of in the north, northern part of the sky from our viewpoint. The key is you got to get out of town. So you got to get out where it's right. really dark, which oh, is yeah. pretty hard to do. Yeah. There's a website called darksky.org that will give you the nearest really dark spot near you. So if you're willing to drive a couple hours or, you know, stay up most of the night, bring a pair of binoculars. You're going to need them. Probably don't need a telescope. But uh, it's really, you know, green is pretty rare for comets. They're usually kind of a whitish blue. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to going out and seeing it. What, and, um, what, what, bring, what gives it the color? Uh, it's atomic oxygen, I think. Wow. Atomic yeah. oxygen. It's Boy. atomic. Like all those movies in the 1950s. It's atomic. Yeah. <laughs> Remember? Oh, yeah. Here comes Flash Gordon on his spaceship, and there's a bunch of strings attached to it. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but his little ray gun is, is atomic. Um, so, yeah, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because I want to make sure we mention that. That's, that's yeah. really special. I mean, look at it. I mean, it's one thing to talk about all these other great things, the SpaceX and going, you know, Artemis and all that, and that's all really cool, but when we can bring it actually, no pun intended, down to all of us here at Earth and we can participate in something like that, I think that's really cool. I mean... Well, as long as we're talking about those deep space objects, the time we have left, uh, Osiris, the OSIRIS-REx mission uh, ejected a capsule, and that's going to be coming back to Earth this year, and it's going to have samples from asteroid venue. Wow. So we'll get to fond a little, a little bit of a deep space object, which isn't something we get to do every day. That's for sure. Uh, so it's they... not quite right, but you know what I mean. I know what you mean. I'm, I'm sure everybody yeah. knew, what you, knew what you were getting to. <laughs> Rod Pyle, editor-in-chief at Astro Magazine, host of This Week in Space podcast, which you just mentioned, um, which is going to drop when, the podcast? Uh, Friday afternoon, about 5 o'clock your time. And yeah, you're going to be... You're going to be dealing some more about this um, this comet, yes? Yeah, we're going to talk to an astronomer and planetarium director uh, of New York State that I've known for a long time. And you can find it uh, on Spotify or yep. Google or Apple or the Space.com website. Awesome. <clears throat> Rod Pyle, thank you so much for being with us. Always great to thank talk you. to you. Look to talk to you again. Uh, here at 720 WGN, Rod Pyle, editor-in-chief at Astro Magazine, host of This Week in Space podcast.